Hello, I'm Terrence McNally, and welcome to Free Forum, a world that just might work. I'll be speaking today with David Daly. He's a senior fellow for Fair Vote. He's the author of Rat Eft and uh, Unrigged. It's interesting. One is on the bad news and the other is on the good news, respectively, within our nation's political process. And he's an expert on how well democracy is functioning. On Free Forum, we explore the lives, the work, the ideas of individuals that I suspect have pieces of the puzzle of a world that just might work. We look at politics, economics, environment, science, health, culture, all based on the fact that I believe we can do better and I want to find out how. The show airs on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles and on kpfk.org Thursdays at 3 p.m. Pacific. Streams weekly on the Progressive Voices Network on TuneIn.com. And podcasts are available anytime, anywhere on Apple Podcasts, most major podcast sites, and at my site, TerrenceMcNally.net, T-E-R-R-E-N-C-E-M-C-N-A-L-L-Y, all one word, TerrenceMcNally.net. The last day to vote in the current elections is November 8th, and that's less than three weeks from the day that we're recording this conversation. Both sides will tell you this is the most important midterm election in your lifetime, only this time it might be true. Let's be clear, democracy is about much more than elections, and elections are about much more than what happens on the day we vote. Our democracy is under threat, and the availability, the validity, the accuracy, and the reliability of our voting and vote counting is as well. Between closing poll sites, purging voter rolls, putting obstacles in the way of voting by mail, uh, the, the Republican Party, where it has the power to do so, is going to great lengths to keep you from voting. And now let me set up why that's such a threat. First of all, let me admit, I've said a lot of what I'm about to say before, but I say it again because it's only getting worse. <laughs> I assume that listeners to this show and all those who care about democracy are well aware of the challenges presented by gerrymandering voter suppression, election manipulation, as well as the concerted efforts by the Republicans to expand the negative impacts of all three. At least since the Supreme Court's unprecedented 2001 decision in Bush v. Gore, the image that embodies these efforts to me is that of the 20th century reaching up out of the grave and grabbing the future by the throat and saying, not so fast. The Republican Party, its beliefs, its policies, its Supreme Court decisions, while passionately held by millions, are no longer those of the majority of Americans. And so the only way that they can survive and, and very often dominate is to game the system. Their voters, they know, are usually more likely to vote, especially in non-presidential midterm elections. And they have strategically exploited that advantage to gerrymander electoral districts, pass laws to suppress voting, leading to Trump's Electoral College victory and unrepresentative GOP majorities, uh, often in the Senate, often in the House, certainly on the Supreme Court, and a majority of state legislatures and governorships. The U.S. holds only one national popular vote, that for president and vice president, and the Republican Party has won that national vote, that only American national vote, once since 1988, in 32 years, once. I guess it's up to 34 years now. <laughs> My number's old. Yet they have held a presidency nearly 12 of those years. 
They've often held majorities in the Senate, despite receiving millions fewer votes than Democrats. The Senate map gives rural areas two and a half times the voting power of big cities, meaning Democrats need to win Senate races by six to seven points usually. Wyoming, with less than 600,000 residents, has the same voice in the Senate as California with 40 million. 538.com estimates that a Democratic presidential winner must win the national popular vote by a margin of at least 3.5 points in order to have a bare majority of electoral votes. Quoting Stephen Hill, one of the founders of Fair Vote, uh, the organization that that, uh, Dave Daly is a fellow at, quote, while the U.S. Senate is currently split 50-50 senators for each party, the Democratic half won over 41 million more votes than the Republican half and represents 56% of the American people. 16 conservative states with a smaller combined population than California's have a total of 32 Senate seats. GOP senators have not represented a majority of the population since 1999, yet they've held a majority of Senate seats for most of that time. In 2018, midterms in Wisconsin, the last time we had midterms, Democrats swept narrow victories in the statewide races, secured 53% of the votes cast in elections for the lower house of the state legislature, but due to gerrymandering, the GOP won more than 60% of the seats. Um, Knowing they'd be insulated from public backlash, the legislature held a special lame duck session during which they stripped power from the state executive branch, reassigned it to themselves, having just won that majority, and something similar happened in Michigan and in North Carolina. You get the idea. When the 6-3 Supreme Court made their series of radical decisions in late June and early July, the most activist two weeks in the Supreme Court in my lifetime, they went against the majority of Americans on church and state, guns, environmental protection, the climate crisis, and women's rights. And they don't shy away from the expectation that they're eager to rewrite the law on LGBTQ rights and contraception. I believe that sustained minority rule not only produces unpopular policies, but also weakens and sickens democracy, breeding cynicism and the sorts of tribal divisions that we now face. I'm now one of many to warn that our democracy is in deep trouble at a moment when the crises we face, climate, pollution, public health, inequality, democracy itself, racism, tribalism, nuclear weapons. None of these can afford for us to fail. David Daly is a senior fellow for Fair Vote, former editor-in-chief of Salon.com, former CEO and publisher of the Connecticut News Project. He's a digital media fellow with the Wilson Center for the Humanities and the Grady School of Journalism at the University of Georgia. And he's the author of Rat Eft, the true story behind the secret plan to steal America's democracy, which helped spark the recent drive to reform gerrymandering, and Unrigged, How Americans Are Battling Back to Save Democracy, which chronicles the victories and the defeats in state efforts to reform elections and uphold voting rights. Welcome, David Daly, to Freeform, a world that just might work. Thanks for having me back, Terrence. That's a fantastic intro. I endorse completely. <laughs> Plus one. Yes. <laughs> okay. So we're on a roll. Um, let me tell listeners, we're recording this conversation Wednesday, October 19th. Um, I like listeners to get a feel for the people behind the work and the ideas. Can you tell us a bit about your path? One of the things I notice is you were an editor-chief of Salon. You were a... Uh, uh, um, uh, that the, the same role, I, I mean, a similar role CEO at the Connecticut News Project. That sounds like calls for a journalist first, but also a generalist. 
How and why did you narrow your focus to issues of democracy and voting? When I was running Salon in early 2013, I was struck by the fact that every day our politics coverage felt like it was chronicling an alien invasion that had taken place in Washington, D.C. And it was all centered in the U.S. House, where you had something like 50-something votes to repeal Obamacare, even though the guy who it was named after was sitting in the White House and planning on vetoing it. Um, and not long after that, in the middle of it all, you had just the absolute utter failure of the U.S. Congress to do anything on gun control after the massacre at Sandy Hook. And it seemed to me as someone who was not naive about the difficulty of achieving gun control, but still thought perhaps, you know, dozens of, of dead elementary school students might um, push our national conscience into action. There was still something staggering about that failure. And I asked a really simple and I thought stupid question. Um, <laughs> why didn't Democrats take back the U.S. House in 2012 when Barack Obama was reelected by about the same margin that he won by in 2008 and when Democrats expanded their number of seats in the U.S. Senate. And what I learned really surprised me. Um, it turned out that 1.4 million more Americans voted for Democratic candidates, but Republicans held the chamber 234-201 anyway. And of course, we don't have a national popular vote for the U.S. House. We don't have a national popular vote for much of anything, do we? <laughs> but um, that's still pretty unusual. Usually the side with the most votes comes out with the most seats. And I started looking at individual state delegations, and it really made my brain explode. A state like Pennsylvania, which went for Obama statewide, somehow elected... 13 Republicans and five Democrats Oof. to the U.S. House. Ohio, which went for Obama, 12 Republicans and four Democrats. Michigan, which went for Obama, nine Republicans and five Democrats. And you can look at Virginia, you can look at Wisconsin, you can look at Florida, uh, up and down the line. And I said, what happened here? And the common argument at the time was that gerrymandering was passe. If you were talking about the problem of gerrymandering, you were sort of a, a flat earther in American politics. Um, but what I uncovered was that none of this was an accident. It was that Republicans had launched a strategy that Democrats missed, that the news media missed, but that had transformed American politics. They understood that by winning control of state legislatures in the previous midterm in 2010, um, in a census year, that by taking control of those chambers in those swing states, all of the states that we're just talking about, that they could then build themselves lopsided advantages, not only in the race for state legislatures, which, as you talked about, have got such important roles in reproductive rights and environmental rights and labor rights and public education, but that they could also remake Congress. And so Democrats 
while coming out of the 28 elections with this sense that they had this, uh, you know, coalition of mm-hmm. of of future generations. That's uh, right. That's right. Let me just that cut was in for lined a second. up. Let me just cut in for a second. Yeah, that, that, that kind of it was the talk that the demographic, the demographics had finally taken over, that the shift in terms of age and and uh, ethnicity and so on had finally shifted as some uh, Democrats and progressives had been predicted for years. But <laughs> they ran into this strategy. The, the demographics did shift, right? The new emerging Democratic majority or whatever the <laughs> Teixeira Judas book That's was right. called in 2006 was right. But it ran into something called REDMAP, the Redistricting Majority Project, and a focused, concentrated effort by Republican operatives and strategists to use redistricting to hold back demographic trends. And it's worked because Democrats have not won back a single chamber in any of those red map gerrymandered states since the new maps were drawn in 2012. And let me just it, remind it, people, that's 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 Congress, so that's every two years. So it isn't like it's been one or two since 20. But it's also state legislatures. And, and they state also haven't won back these state legislatures. Democrats did, of course, manage to find a a way to take back Congress in 2018, but that was after uh, courts in Pennsylvania yeah. and Virginia and Florida unwound maps and took a lot of the the toxic bias out of of, of that map. North Carolina, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of other states involved um, uh, there in, in making the gerrymander matter less in 2018 and 2020. But in state legislatures. You know, after the 2018 yeah. elections, you had 51 million Americans living in a state in which one or both chambers of the state legislature were controlled by Republicans. But this radically affected state legislatures as well. Right after the 2018 midterms, 51 million Americans lived in a state in which one or both chambers of the state legislature were controlled by Republicans, even though Democrats won more votes. Uh. And exactly zero Americans lived in a state in which... Uh, Republicans won more votes, but Democrats held power. So wow. this has not been a both sides equivalence. This has been uh, a an effective and deeply strategic and devious plan to remake American politics, and it worked. And that is what led you. <laughs> that was a really long answer no, no, to what but, led me but, to this. Yes, but, 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 but like, I mean, you set it up. It, it's seeing that, digging in finding what the what the reality was and i think the other thing that probably possessed you was the fact that it came as a surprise to you so someone there was a gap there in terms of getting the information out to the people and the rest of the media once you begin to view american politics through the lens of redistricting you cannot stop seeing it that way (laughs) and Democrats fell asleep on this in 2010, as they will admit to you, as they admitted to me in my books. But the American news media fell asleep on it as well. Um, I mean, I worked at Salon during this period, and I tried to get everybody else on my staff, you know, which included Joan Walsh and Steve Karnacki and Brian Boitler and Alex Perrine and just, you know, a brilliant (laughs) set of people. And everybody looked at me like I had four heads when I talked about the importance of redistricting. No kidding. Um, But if you go back, and I've done this, if you you search the New York Times website, the Washington Post website for RedMap, 
it does not appear. It was not talked about in 2009, in 2010, in 2011. There was zero coverage of this concerted Republican strategy to remake American politics from the ground up by running a, uh, an explosive truck through the loophole that is state legislatures in competitive states. Right. And as I've uh, said many times, and I think actually I was paying attention to this back then, um, but, but you know, uh, like you, a voice in the wilderness, um, was that uh, part of what led to Obama's 2008 election and what uh, one of the things that made people so excited was that it was, at least we assume that it, it grew out of his organizer experience, but his organization of grassroots folks working um, was really an effective part of his success. And then he basically disbanded, ignored, um, uh, disrespected that grassroots army he built when, of course, what he should have done was turn them into a midterm election machine that would have stopped this from happening. I think that's right. I think when you look at the 2010 election, it's the most consequential election of our lifetime. Yes. Um, and so many Democrats looked at 2008 and thought that that was right. the historical turning point. And it was certainly um, a, a deeply important election. But the one in 2010 mattered more because it remade our politics at every level and we are still dealing with the consequences of it more than a decade later. Right. And one of the keys there, uh, Dave, is that since the um, redistricting takes place after every decimal election, so 2010, 2020, 2000 and so on, what that means is that every other one is a midterm election. And what the and the Republicans saw that very clearly that that to get people to come out and vote in a 2008 election, well, that's a presidential election. To get them to come out and vote in a 2020 election, that's a, a presidential election. But to get them to vote in a midterm, and and the Republicans saw so clearly, this is when we usually win. Let's take advantage of that. You're absolutely right, and I don't want to bog us down yeah, yeah. in 2010, yeah, because I know you want to talk right. about minority rule yeah. today. But this was so easy and so obvious that it's amazing that no one had sort of looked at it in this way. It only required winning 107 state legislative seats in 16 states. Wow. Republicans executed this strategy for $30 million, which is chunk change. Oh my change. God. It's it's not only the biggest heist in modern political history, it's the biggest bargain. Absolutely. I mean, if I if, if we looked at what uh, Rick Caruso has spent to be mayor of um, of Los Angeles, which he may or may not be, um, it's it's at least it as a, I mean, it's it's over 60 million. Just just saying. OK, what I wanted to, you that so that led you to your shift and that's led to your focus ever since and so on. And then as we as we talked about in uh, 2021, your, your second book, Unrigged, was an attempt to look at, at, at folks on the ground trying to fix things. But let's switch to the current. What we're, We are talking now um, a, 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 a few weeks from 
the next midterm. And I saw a poll yesterday that made me, A, I'm going to say, when I saw the headline of the poll in the, in the <laughs> New York Times, my heart sank. I mean, I take polls with a grain of salt, for sure. But this, just the headline, just got to me. And, and I thought, well, it's kind of perfect that we're going to talk this morning since this happened yesterday. Now, listeners indulge me, and I've already warned Dave, but I'm going to read a fair amount of the New York Times article about this poll because I think it is so critical. And then let's talk about it. And then with whatever time we have left, I want to go to the specifics of voter purges and 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 uh, you know obstacles to mail-in ballot and some of the things we're facing and give people some advice for the election but i thought this was just such a such a, a statement here okay the headline in the new york times voters see democracy in peril but saving it isn't a priority uh this is by nick nick corasanti michael bender ruth in in Jilnick, and and Kristen barak darian in the new york times yesterday and, and here i'm going to quote uh, quite a bit from it. A New York Times Siena College poll of 792 registered voters nationwide. <coughs> 792 registered voters nationwide from October 9th to 12th, 2022, found that other problems have seized voters' focus even as many do not trust this year's election results and are open to anti-democratic candidates. Voters overwhelmingly believe American democracy is under threat, but seem remarkably apathetic about that danger, with few calling it the nation's most pressing problems. 71% of all voters said democracy was at risk. 71%, but just 7% identified that as the most important problem facing the country. The poll's findings reinforce the idea that for many Americans, this year's midterm elections will be largely defined by rising inflation and other economic woes, leaving threats to the country's democratic institutions lurking in the back of voters' minds. In fact, more than a third of independent voters and a smaller but noteworthy contingent of Democrats said they were open to supporting candidates who reject the legitimacy of the 2020 election as they assigned greater urgency to their concerns about the economy than to fears about the fate of the country's political system. 28% of all voters, 41% of Republicans, said they had little to no faith in the accuracy of this year's midterm elections. Most Republicans said the dangers included President Biden, the mainstream media, the federal government, and voting by mail. Most Democrats named Donald J. Trump, while large shares of the party's voters also said the Supreme Court and the Electoral College were threats to democracy. Among voters who saw democracy as under threat, the vast majority, 81%, thought the country could fix the problems by using existing laws and institutions rather than by going outside the law, according to the poll. Those who said violence would be necessary were a small minority. Overall, voters' broader frustration with the political system that many view as dangerously divided and corrupt has left them pessimistic that the country is capable of coming together to solve its problems no matter which party wins in November. 71% of Republicans said they would be comfortable voting for a candidate who thought that year's election, uh, the 2020 election, was stolen, as did 37% of independents. 37% of independents are comfortable voting for a candidate who denies the 2020 results, and even 12% of Democrats. Even of, among voters who think Biden won legitimately, 
19% were comfortable casting a ballot for a candidate who believed the election was stolen. That number included 10% of Democrats, 22 independents, 43 Republicans. So these are people who believe Biden won, but are still willing to vote someone who uh, publicly denies that he did so. Um, voters signaled a bipartisan willingness to support a president who goes, quote, outside of existing rules. A third, including similar shares in both parties, said presidents should do what they think is best, even if it flouts the rules. 26% said they'd heard about 2,000 mules, that widely debunked Dinesh D'Souza uh, documentary about ballot harvesting. Um, uh, just uh, just 2% of Republicans who heard about the movie found it not believe, believable. Days after early voting has begun, four in 10 Republican voters said they did not trust that the 22 results would be accurate, even though... Um, polls show their party is favored to win control. 13% of Democrats, 26% of independents also distrusted this year's eventual results. And um, Republicans' voters' suspicions were uh, underscored by their deep mistrust of mail ballots. 72% of Democrats and 48% of independents said voting by mail presented no threat to democracy. 55% of Republicans called the practice a major danger. Uh, Democratic voters cited the economy and inflation as their top concerns, prioritizing them over democracy and other issues like abortion access. Uh, some uh, viewed them as going hand in hand. Independent voters far more worried about issues other than democracy and some willing to look past candidates' election denying stances if their views aligned on other policies. And here's just one quote. They, they had a number of quotes from from voters, but but I just added this one here. I don't believe that this is the quote. I don't believe that their opinion on whether or not the election was quote unquote stolen is important, um, said this voter, a senior electronics technician and independent from Jackson, Mich Michigan, a key state. I'm far more concerned about their stance on policies that actually matter. And I thought, of course, what's going to come next is gas prices and so on. But no, I'm more concerned about how you feel about the Second Amendment. How do you feel about the First Amendment? How do you feel about the state of the economy? Okay, so that's that's the poll that I want to set us off on. But first, I want to make two or three observations just to set you up, Dave. And then I want your reactions, both in terms of, um, you know, whatever way you want to approach it. But I'm just uh, sitting over here sipping on some hemlock. So <laughs> you let me know. Unlike most other issues, this occurs to me, democracy and the threat on democracy and repairing democracy is the one thing that they can be pretty certain their vote might determine. It may have nothing to do, their vote may have nothing to do with inflation, which is based on a war in the Ukraine, um, a pandemic that changed um, all sorts of supply lines and so on. Uh, you know, the, their, their vote may it may register their anger, it may register their frustration, but it may have nothing to do with solving their problem. And I would go down the line on most of the issues that people would rank above the threat to democracy, whereas who they vote for in these midterms is absolutely critical to that one. And then the other thing that I realized is saying that democracy is under threat doesn't mean you agree with you and me, Dave. Um, <laughs> It, it may mean absolutely opposite things, opposite evidence that it's occurring, opposite history of how it came about, opposite culprits of who's doing it, and opposite solutions. Jamie Raskin and an Oath Keeper assaulting the Capitol both probably believe at that moment democracy is under threat. 
I throw it to you, Dave. Uh, let me make a couple points before the the poison sets in. <laughs> oh, uh, that's just so dispiriting. I mean, I I sign on to you know plus one to what you've just observed. I mean, by the way, we've just established that you've made this your life's work. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm having a. A huge impact, clearly. Um, <laughs> are you suggesting that I'm wasting my no, time? No, no, no. I'm, su- I'm suggesting. <laughs> I'm, I'm suggesting why it hits you even harder. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, listen, the big lie that the election was stolen from Donald Trump in 2020. It's horrible, not just because it's completely not true. But it has created this entire splinter, you know, it's registered all these aftershocks. Yeah. um, That some of them have had ramifications in voter suppression bills that um, are fronted as voter integrity bills, even though the real goal of them all tends to be stopping people from voting who aren't going to vote for your side. Um, So that has been, I think, tragic. But when you look back, even just a couple of years ago, issues like making sure every vote counted, issues like partisan gerrymandering, they all polled victoriously huge majorities amongst Democrats, Republicans, and independents. You had anti-gerrymandering measures win, not just in places like Michigan and Colorado, but in Virginia and Florida and Utah, um, Missouri. So this was a red state, blue state, purple state. It was about, it was about voters. It was about all of us. And that very clearly has um, has been poisoned. Um, and there's a lot of toxins in our body politic. And that poll really gets at it. But I think you've got the big picture right as well, that frustrated Americans um, hoping that the price of gas goes down by a quarter, which is something that's out of the control of, <laughs> of politicians, and the president and which party controls Congress um, are willing to place in office politicians who are more than willing to trade the American model of democracy for what Hungary is doing right now, uh, in which you still get to have elections, they just don't actually have any impact. And we are closer to this than we think. We keep saying, oh, it can't happen here. It is happening here. It's happening here right now before our very eyes in states like Ohio and Wisconsin and North Carolina, competitive states that actually don't resemble anything like a functioning democracy, states where political control has been thoroughly disconnected from the ballot box, 
where citizens no longer have the power to change their government if it oversteps, where politicians feel like they can then do whatever they please because there are no consequences or ramifications. Um, we, the nation that uh, extol the virtues of our democracy to the rest of the world, uh, American democracy is the frog in a boiling pot of water that you've just sort of slowly turned it up and up and up. And it's the 2022 election might be the last time to sort of turn that down. And if we are more concerned about 25 cents a gallon at the pump than the future of American democracy, we are all going to be speaking Hungarian pretty soon. Yeah. I mean, talk about that uh, that um, uh, redistricting uh, wave in 2010 as a bargain. If you think about this as a, a, a quarter per gallon for American democracy, it, it's a bargain. I mean, it's a bargain with the devil, but it's a bargain. Um, let me tell people, this is Free Forum, a world that just might work. I'm Terrence McNally speaking with David Daly. He's a senior fellow for fairvote.org. He's the author of Rat Eft and um, Unrigged on, as I say, the bad news and the good news, respectively, about our nation's political process. And uh, right now, a, 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 a very worried expert on how well democracy is functioning. Um, uh so we both, uh, I think, react viscerally to this poll and its headline. One, that it isn't a secret anymore that democracy is under threat, but it doesn't matter that much. And two, as I pointed out, that the very notion that democracy is under threat um, is what motivated the folks who stormed the Capitol as well as millions of other people who think the opposite. Let me ask you first, about um, just so people have it on their radar, although there's nothing they can do about it. And then we'll talk about things they can do things about. The prospect of uh, the Supreme Court's decision regarding the power of state legislatures over state elections, having set the stage as we have by saying that the, uh, the, the, the Republicans very efficiently and very diabolically have uh, taken over many, many state legislatures. It's a really dangerous case. And in many ways, this is the finishing blow to American democracy. What Red Map started, Moore versus Harper and the independent state legislative theory that the court will hear a case on in December, um, it's the end of the road. Um, what this case arises from is a gerrymandered map in North Carolina. Um, North Carolina's state Supreme Court invalidated uh, both the congressional and the state legislative map in North Carolina as unconstitutional partisan gerrymanders. As drawn, using, by, as drawn as, by the state legislature, which as was... As drawn by the state legislature. Right. And they used their constitutional authority under a provision in the North Carolina state constitution that ensures free and fair elections. And more is a North Carolina um, the Speaker of the House, and they have sued and they have said, well, the elections clause says that the legislature is the body that has the power uh, to set election rules. And because legislature can only mean legislature, it means that as a result, and 
follow me here because this is so wackadoodle that it makes no sense at all. That's right. If you haven't heard this before, you won't quite believe what you're hearing. What they're trying to argue is that that means that the state legislature cannot be controlled by a gubernatorial veto, by the state constitution, or by the state Supreme Court when it comes to setting any kind of election law method or process. And there's going to pause the for that to sink in. Right? That's right. The ultimate result of that could be. The ultimate result of that could be that state legislatures decide not to certify electors in states that Democrats won in 2024. Uh, the state of that could be a January 6, 2025 that makes January 6, 2021 look like child's play and a dress rehearsal. Um, it could be a bloodless, completely technically legal uh, coup, effectively. Um, but in addition, it would also mean that it could put an end to independent redistricting commissions. It could, mm, hadn't you know, thought it, of that. It could, um, it could, you know, in states like Pennsylvania um, or Wisconsin, where Democratic governors have been able to have a seat at the table and block extreme maps that have been passed by Republicans, the governor would no longer have veto power. Uh, it would mean that the state Supreme Court would no longer have the ability to review maps. This after the U.S. Supreme Court in the Rucho v. Common Cause decision in 2019 that closed the doors of the federal courts to partisan gerrymandering claims as a non-justiciable political issue, they said, well, state Supreme Courts can simply take care of right. this, and they're doing a really good job of it. And now they may very well even close that door. Right. So let me just let me just remind people, I'm, I'm going to rephrase some of what you said, but it's to see who the players are and how the dance is going. The, the Supreme Court decided a few years ago, as he just said, that they no longer needed to, uh, to, to consider gerrymandering or redistricting, that that was better left to the states because it's political, I believe, was, was sort of the reasoning. Now, so you send it back and you say the Supreme Court's, the, the justice systems in those states will now have the responsibility. Now they entertain another decision in which they may overrule the power of those courts they gave that power to or, or uh, left that power to, to actually do that job. It's, 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 it's crazy and scary. Um, and, and the other thing, I mean, I, I, I don't know if you spelled out absolutely as clearly as it could be, but it means that in many of these swing states that are the deciding states in elections these days, much of which goes back to why other states aren't, you know, the primary system we have and the winner-take-all system we have and all those things that you work, you know, to reform at fair vote, uh, they all lead us to have these red and blue states. But in a state that is a swing state that decides presidential elections, the legislature could three or four legislatures if this if the supreme court says yes the state legislature has the ultimate power three or four legislatures could just say we're throwing out those electors we think there was fraud or as they've said in in passing many of their voter suppression and other bills they say there is a feeling 
There's uneasiness. The very fact that you can drum up a feeling that there might be fraud and so people wonder if there's fraud is now a reason to make rules. They could use that again. There, there's some feeling in the state of Pennsylvania, the state of Wisconsin, the state of Michigan, the state of Arizona, state of Georgia, that, um, that there might have been fraud. So we are going to overrule the popular vote and, and take our rightful constitutional role and, and, and decide this election. And that could actually happen if the Supreme Court rules in a certain way. Am I correct? Yes, you're absolutely right. Now, Joe, Biden, uh, Joe Biden won the election, the popular vote by 7 million. That's right. In 2020, he won the electoral college, however, by about 44,000 votes in Wisconsin, Georgia, and Arizona all of which uh, have been deeply gerrymandered and will remain deeply gerrymandered in 2024. So it would not take much. It would simply take the activity of a handful of Republican gerrymandered legislatures to throw us into a constitutional crisis, the likes of which we would never have seen before and which would be adjudicated by a 6-3 conservative mm -hmm. majority on the Supreme Court that lacks uh, institutional credibility. Right. And as and as we've seen, the reason it lacks institutional credibility is that it is not willing to nibble around. The, it is not just willing to nibble around the margins. It is willing to say, we got this 6-3 majority. We worked hard for it. And we are going to be bold in how we apply it. And we do not care, as I said in the introduction, whether the rulings we make are against the majority, the sentiment, all of these sorts of things, um, to some extent, they don't even care, as we've seen, that they are uh, Supreme Court precedent. Um, so this is, and, and I think when you say a constitutional crisis like we've never seen, I mean, do imagine that it is um, uh, early November 2024, and a few state legislatures have taken this turn, and what was the apparent outcome has been reversed, what happens then? What happens on the ground? What happens to, um, uh, you know, it, it, one might say, well, the aggrieved parties are not the ones as prone to violence as they were this time around. But it doesn't matter. I mean, the scene that you would see would, would, would be, I mean, I can't quite imagine it, but the very prospect, uh, not just of them doing it, but of the response is awfully frightening. It's chilling, and it's why the poll that you yes. read from in the Times is so dispiriting, because the 2022 election not only has all of these election deniers on the ballot at all different levels, something like two-thirds of Americans have an election denier on the ballot this November, but the Supreme Court stands at the ready to give those election deniers power to do exactly what they say they, they will do. That's right. And so it's not just that we'll be electing election deniers to important positions in state legislatures or election certification boards or secretary of state's offices or governors or, or the U.S. House, but that these politicians could be granted the power by the U.S. Supreme Court um, 
to effectively nullify the will of the people. And sometimes when people say they're going to do something, you've got to treat them at their word. And I treat them at their word. Yeah, yeah. And especially having seen the, those two weeks in June. In other words, anyone who thought that they would, they would, you know, they might. I mean, it's funny, all the predictors thought Roe v. Wade would go but I don't think people saw all those others, which didn't get quite as much publicity on guns, on church and state and, and, and so on. And, and this one obviously looms. And, and, and it is that two weeks in June, I think, that makes us so frightened about this upcoming decision. Let's shift a little bit. Um, and, 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 and so I hope we've, we've scared the hell out of you and, and, and <laughs> scare the hell out of me and, and that you'll be paying attention. But let's look at what we face in, in, in a few weeks. What issues or problems should we be paying attention to in terms of these upcoming midterms, especially if there are any that listeners can do anything about? Well, you can get out and vote in some of these states. Uh, that's uh, that's still allowed in in many places. Um, <laughs> and you can vote up and down the ballot because uh, there's a lot more at stake than just control of the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House, as important as that may be. Uh, your your local election boards, uh, uh, state Supreme Court judges, uh, there's an awful lot of super important states, stakes and elections that are not getting a lot of attention and they matter at absolutely every level. Um, just about as, as in the this country. As this whole conversation has, I think, um, tried to tried to point out, is that it's yes. the ones you don't have your eye on that may make the most crucial difference. That's right. Um, but what I would suggest is that the gerrymanders that were drawn a decade ago uh, still have power in almost all of those states today that the process in many states has gotten worse. If you look at Ohio, which tried to reform its process twice for state legislature and for Congress, and what you had were Republican politicians on a statewide redistricting commission that ignored the new constitutional language passed by more than two thirds of voters. Ohio's state Supreme Court, not once, not twice, not three, but seven times. Oh my God sent those maps back to the commission and said, you've got to follow the constitutional standard and they refused. And so the election in Ohio for state legislature in Congress this year will take place on maps that the state Supreme Court has called unconstitutional. And let me just, and let me just jump in for one quick second. Um, what, just reminding listeners that as we said, every, it's every 10 years that redistricting happens. So it happened again between 2020 and 2022. And what he is pointing out is that in Ohio, and, and I saw, I think a couple of others are similar to this, the ones who are violating new rules or violating uh, fair representation, and so on, if they just keep doing it long enough, the court may finally say it's too close to the election to make a change. And that's what happened in Ohio, correct? Uh, that's absolutely right. Uh, you just keep ignoring the court. You run out the clock and you get a free election. Uh, and pretty soon, the U.S. Supreme Court might just say, yeah, well, the, those state Supreme Courts don't have any say in this process. Anyway. Anyway, which is, it's so insane to think that 
anybody could look at what's happening in Ohio and say, yeah, there's really no need for state Supreme Courts to play any role here. Let's just let the legislatures do whatever the hell they want. It's 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 borderline absurd. Um, but and, and, and one thing for people who forget their history um, that there are ways in which this is more akin to the founding fathers in that, and, and I know many people know this, but many people may have forgotten, senators for years were elected by state legislators. And there was some talk a few years ago that there were a lot of gerrymandered state legislatures that wanted to do away with the 17th Amendment and return the process to state legislatures that, of course, had been gerrymandered to ensure you know, and that went the way of uh, that kind of disappeared. You haven't yeah. heard much about that in recent years, I think, perhaps because they understand that they've already got so many structural advantages <laughs> in the U.S. It. Senate that that's not really where they have to focus. Yeah. yeah. But like a state like Ohio and a state like Florida, which also aggressively flouted its constitutional uh, guardrails against partisan gerrymandering. Um, and Republicans probably stole as many as four additional seats there. It's entirely possible that Ohio ends up with a 13-2 Republican map and that Republicans pick up four seats in Ohio. Oh, my God. I'm sorry, um, four seats in Florida. And like a fair map in Ohio is probably, what, a 9-6 map maybe? Um, um, So the difference there is four seats in Ohio, four seats in Florida, the Democratic advantage in the U.S. House is is only is only five seats. Yep. So redistricting could in those two states, which have got totally unconstitutional elections taking place. And, know, and when you say totally totally unconstitutional, you mean these are two instances where they ran out the clock long enough that they said, "Okay, it's too late to make your." Uh, redistricting plan constitutional is basically what they said because it's too close you to get election. a free election to have it be as rigged right. as you want it and to as be. you point out those two states with their unconstitutional uh numbers could decide the house it's what happens in ohio and florida is not going to stay in ohio and florida it's right. going to affect every single one of us right um what about uh voter purges voter suppression um, problems with, with vote by mail, anything that, as again, that people can pay attention to because there's something they can do about them. You know, under the Purcell principle, it's too late for voters to do anything about any of this stuff, too close to an election. <laughs> um, but um, I think you've absolutely got to be aware of the changes that have taken place in your state. If you are voting by mail um, and you have to sign the envelope in in a number of different places that you didn't have to before, you've got to know that uh if there's going to be a signature match that matches your signature to your voter application and you signed that application when you were 18 years old Mm -hmm. and now you're 55 and you know your signature looks different maybe you'd better go down to city hall and uh, uh check and and make sure you ought to know where your polling place is you ought to double check that your your name has not been purged um you know, I mean, these like are 32 these are... million Americans had had their names purged from the voter rolls between 2014 and 2018 alone. Now, if so... people don't understand what that purging means, what it means is that there is it is possible and, and not even terrible for uh, state rolls to clean themselves at times because people do move. 
But when this is done over aggressively and is done without sufficient checks, people get cut. And, 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 and it turns out that poor people move more often than rich people and things like that. Um, or when you students, look at these roles and you yeah, oh, yes, yeah. you're absolutely right. But it's also when you look at these roles aggressively, as some of these state lawmakers do, and say, well, those two people have the same That's name. Right. Oh, they must be the same person. Well, uh, Greg, um, Greg Pallas has done a great deal of work on this. Pallas has I've, nailed this. And in, I've talked in, to him about it. And, and, and if you want to go to his, if you want to learn about this particular trick, go to gregpalast.com, um, P-A-L-A-S-T. But what he points out is they don't work from, they they get a computer printout that there's a, 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 a couple of companies that make, and it will list O'Hara, you know, O'Harry, uh, or let, let's think about um, Latino names that are similar or yes. so on. And it will- They are not interested in going after John White. Uh, that's right. They, they are really interested in going after Juan Rodriguez. That's right. And 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 they will mark these as likely purgeable and then will send a postcard, which looks like every other piece of junk postcard you throw exactly. in the trash. It's and intentionally designed to look like the kind of junk mail that you throw in the trash. That's right. And if you get it, if it follows you even to your current address, you will be likely to ignore it. And only if you send back that postcard, will you be able to tell them, wait, wait, that's not me that you just purged. This is me. And so you may be purged. Now, if you have been, what you want to do is you want to get there and you want to, uh, you want to, you, what you want to do is before you vote, check with your local registrar and make sure that you are eligible and that you, you they've got you up to date and they, they've got you at your right address and all those things that are going to make it possible. It's no longer leave it to the very last minute and do it, which would be nice since you have two jobs and you're working hard to support your family, but it may not be the case anymore. Um, the other thing is there is a group um, called votewriters.org which um, was just started by a, a, a single citizen here in Santa Monica, but basically they will help if you're in a voter ID state. If you go to vote riders, they will help you fulfill whatever your obligation is if you're in a state that has instituted a voter ID card rule. Give us, um, you know, we've said it, we've said it a number of times. One, we've laid out the problem. Two, we've laid out the uh, worst problem that may be right ahead of us after this election when the Supreme Court uh, rules. But right now, your words of advice to uh, voters, uh, give you a minute, just your, your, your last, your last uh, uh, entreaty to them before we go. This is no time to be worried about the price of gasoline. This is time to be worried about what the future of American democracy looks like. And that is exactly what is on the line at every single level of this election, uh, up and down the ballot, whether you're talking about your local election board, a state Supreme Court, your state rep, your, your member of Congress. This is it. I know that, as you said at the top of the show, every... Yeah, two years, it seems like someone's saying democracy itself is on the ballot, and this is the most important election of our time. And, well, it seems like they all are. But <laughs> as you look at what is being lined up, we are running out of time to fix this. We're running out of avenues that have not been blocked 
to preserve our system. This is a five alarm fire. It's all hands on deck. But I want to stress that as serious as it is, there have been similar fights like this in American history before. We stand on the shoulders of those who have been doing this kind of work for hundreds of years in this country, trying to create a nation that lives up to its ideals, trying to push a multiracial nation into be embracing and becoming a multiracial a democracy. We stand on the shoulders of those who, who, who fought in Selma, who fought during Reconstruction, who fought for women to get the right to vote, for natives and indigenous to get the right to vote, to protect and win the Reconstruction Amendments to the Constitution that ensured uh, the, the franchise for uh, black citizens. We have fought these fights before. We have won these fights before. This is part of a permanent push and pull that is as old as American history itself. And all of us, you know, Dr. King talks about the, the arc of moral justice being long, but bending towards justice. And it doesn't bend by itself. Right. It only bends when all of us of good faith reach out and pull it in the direction we want it to go because there's folks on the other side trying to pull it their way. If we want a nation that lives up to our ideals, it's up to us to go out and make it. Yeah, so vote. Make sure that your vote is going to be counted. Do take, take precautions and encourage others and drive others and talk others into it and so on. This is as crucial as it sounds. So again, Dave's books are rat-effed and unrigged. You can learn more about his work at salon.com and at fairvote.org. For this conversation and many others and interviews, articles, join me in pursuit of a world that just might work. Go to terrencemcnally.net, T-E-R-R-E-N-C-E-M-C-N-A-L-L-Y.net or aworldthatjustmightwork.com. They're the same website if you want to get my weekly email announcement telling you who's going to be on, what we're going to talk about and probably 10, maybe even 15 links to articles to flesh out the conversation, um, uh, email me at T-E-McNally, T-E-M-C-N-A-L-L-Y, at Mac.com, or you can sign up at my website. You can sign up for the podcast at all those other wonderful podcast websites, and there you'll find archives, including Michael Lewis, Naomi Klein, Bill McKibben, Van Jones, Connie Rice, Greg Boyle, George Packer. You can also follow me on Twitter, at McNally Terrence. Thanks to Keanu Williams in production, George Vassilopoulos of Progressive Voices, and most of all to you, my listeners, please share this podcast widely. And finally, thank you, David Daly, and keep up your good work. Thank you, Terrence. We fight on. We do. Hi, this is Randy Rhodes right here on the Progressive Voices Network. The Randy Road Show. Smart, forward, free thinking, entertaining, bringing you liberal news and opinion that challenges the status quo and amplifies free speech. Every weekday afternoon, 3 to 5 Eastern. Hi, it's Randy Rhodes. Listen to me on the PV live stream or on demand or both on the PV app. Just go to progressivevoices.com or download the Progressive Voices app.
If you want 24-7 access to everything progressive on the mobile internet, download the Progressive Voices app at ProgressiveVoices.com. The PV app is a one-stop shop that aggregates everything progressive. News, blogs, audio, video, opinion, then thoughtfully curates, prioritizes, and presents the progressive content. The purpose is to create a progressive media universe, an alternative to the one controlled by cable operators, radio station owners, and newspaper publishers. That's the PV app at ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community.